speed up, but look on the ASA. My gosh, they're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. Zencaster is a modern web-based solution for high-quality audio and video podcast production. With a full suite of professional tools, Zencaster allows podcasters to quickly and seamlessly record their guests remotely and produce their podcasts in studio quality. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. This is James Fox, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and this is the listener call-in show for September. Dan joins me for all the calls on this one which is fantastic and it was good to speak to so many new and familiar voices as well from all around the world. So let's get right into it. You're going to hear about remote viewing. You're going to hear about people's own experiences, which are really, really cool to hear, and it's great to have people sharing those. So please, if you do have your own experiences you want to talk about, come on and do that. You are going to hear people sharing their thoughts on the Lou Elizondo interview, the recent International UFO Congress, and a whole lot more besides that. This month's listener call-ins will be out in three parts, just to have a slightly more condensed show for each one, because that's what a lot of people are asking for rather than the longer podcast, but they'll all come out a couple of days apart. So thank you very much. Enjoy the pod. First on the line joining Dan and myself is Carl in Oklahoma. Carl, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, long, long-time long listener, first-time caller. I, I love hearing that. Always makes me feel legitimate and, you know, Dan, Dan smiling as well. I think he was going to say the same thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, Carl, listen, the floor is yours. Um, what do you want to talk about? So there's a couple of things. I mean, there's so many things I want to talk to you all about, but I'm trying to focus it on the topic of remote viewing. Uh, it's something that is really interesting to me. You know, when I when I heard uh, Lou Elizondo talk about using remote viewing and, and hearing from remote viewers that worked with ATIP, you know, it's pretty convincing that um, they obviously believe that remote viewing is significant, real, and functional. And I don't know about anybody else, but in my worldview, aliens, ET, UFOs, I get it. Cool. Universe is big. It fits within my 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 model of the universe. Remote viewing di- didn't really sit in that model very well, and so the thought that I had been sort of before UFOlogy, I was really interested in the simulation hypothesis and investigating that. It seemed really like an interesting and reasonable uh, you know interpretation of both Buddhism and uh, you know modern ideas that people have for reincarnation and things like that. It's um, it, there's, there's something that makes sense and a probability to it. Uh, there's this great segment with uh, Lex Friedman on his podcast and George uh, Hotz, who two, two computer programmers. 
And um, they're, they're bantering around about the simulation hypothesis and, and the questions presented to George, which is, you know, can you, what, what kind of evidence should we look for to find out if the simulation hypothesis is correct? And George says, show me something like a scrying technology uh, works. And Lex is like, what is scrying? Because I didn't really know what scrying was. And he's like, remote viewing. Show me that some type of non-local information access is possible. And both of them were like, like a memory leak. And then they're both talking about this concept of remote viewing in terms of accessing a memory leak in the simulation. And I'm just like, oh, man, that's so fascinating, especially given what Lou Elizondo said. And that topic alone branches throughout so much of modern ufology. Um, all right. So I've talked a lot. Um, how interesting is that to you guys? And do you have any immediate thoughts to that? Yeah, I, I love the topic of remote viewing. Obviously, we've just had Deborah Katz on. That was a, a really interesting talk. Simeon Hines been a, a guest on the podcast a few times, uh, and Buddy from from Alien Protocols as well. Um, it's one of those ones again. It's it's so hard to to prove, but also there's a lot of really good evidence to show that, especially from like the the military point of view, when they have used it as well, that people do hit targets with eerie accuracy and you know you hear about people like ingo swan and, and um, pat price who mm-hmm. managed to hit targets but they they weren't even meaning to hit you know nuclear submarines and launch codes and basically look in rooms of meetings and other foreign countries and it, that kind of stuff for me is like there's definitely something to it i even look at really going back simply dano like this one to even things like a sixth sense and, and knowing something like, for example, how my dog knows before my wife turns the corner in her car that she is coming home. That even pets have some ability to know that you're yeah. nearby or you're coming home before you're there. For me, just shows that there's something connecting things and connecting everything. So there's a whole lot of, of proof for it. Um, how it how it fits into things again. I, I like things. I've talked about lucid dreaming in the past as well, and and how dreams work. And you're just going down the levels or up the levels of consciousness to to different places. Are you there physically? Are you there? You know, are, are we even here physically? And Dan, I know you've got some some good kind of thoughts on this kind of stuff as well. It's it's definitely your bag. I think. You you mentioned some uh, really interesting stuff there. I, I want to start my response by just saying that anyone that's seen um, the updates with Lou Elizondo and Max in San Marino, um, there was mentioned during the video of someone named Lance just being off camera um, and recording everything. And that is uh, Lance Mungia. Uh, he was director um, of Third Eye Spies. So it kind of ties in with what we're talking about here. That's a great film. If you haven't seen it, it's all about the remote viewing programs and things like that. Um, so definitely check that out. I look forward to seeing what he's there for. Um, but yeah, Hal, Hal and everyone are kind of, Hal Putoff are mixed in with this kind of history of remote viewing. And once you kind of start diving into it, you know, you realize there are kind of protocols and there are ways that you can, you know, it's not it's not necessarily magic. And like what Deborah said on on in her interview with Andy, you you kind of need a group of people to kind of do it reliably and then kind of you know average out the results and see what kind of comes up and you, you know it's not something that is necessarily going to work like uh like professor x let's say, let's say um but i love the idea because it plays into this we we always talk about how different cultures have different words for different things and to me m- remote viewing is just another way of saying that we're accessing the akashic record which 
you know, that's spoken about as being a, a kind of a hall of information that you can access through consciousness and kind of read the universe. And it's just kind of the same thing to me, you know, with a different name. Um, and then when you kind of start looking into physics and you, you kind of go down to the smallest level that we can see, which we call the Planck length, you... <laughs> They, they start talking about how the universe is made up essentially of pixels and that it's informational. And if that, you know, if the basis of the universe is informational, then the Akashic record is that informational basis of the universe. And that's what we're reading when we're remote viewing. Or like yeah. Andy said, you know, with kind of dogs knowing when their owners are coming home, there could be all sorts of senses that we don't know we have where we kind of sense these kind of interactions in maybe the electromagnetic field through, you, you know, all these different interactions that are going on in the world. Um, it's really fascinating. And the your, your simulation point was interesting because there was a new Matrix trailer this week and, and everyone's kind of a buzz talking about it. And And I love that idea that almost consciousness is the simulator and the way we interact with the universe is the simulator. So when we talk about, you know, our reality is a prison and people think we're being kept here by like a force field or something, not necessarily our perception is a prison on the universe. And and really, there are things outside of that, but we're in a cage and we can't see them. You know, it's it's yeah. strange to think about in that way because you don't really have much control over that. Um, trying remote viewing, um, I've done quite a lot of that. Uh, one recently, and I won't say who with, um, but it was it was an interesting process because when I started, I instantly wanted to go for what's called the gestalt, which is essentially you giving your best stab at what the object is or what the landscape is, you know? Um, whereas you're meant to start with, like, qualities and work through them qualia and, you know, is it is it natural? Is it man-made? Is there, you know, repeated patterns? That kind of vague stuff. And you build up a picture. And one of the ones I got, and it was super interesting because I got it wrong, my, my chat on the whole thing, which was I thought, it was, uh, well, I'll tell you what my my kind of sheet said. Uh, my sheet was cold, wet, white, smooth, water, maybe ice with water. And it turned out that I'd been tasked with viewing the Tic Tac. So a lot of those qualities, you know, smooth, white, water, cold, they apply, but I just didn't understand what I was seeing necessarily. So it's an interesting process to partake in because you realize how you pass information. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm out of breath now. That was a, that was a really well, good question. I, I would so if if we had all of the time in the world, I would I would tell you about my experience uh, trying remote viewing. Uh, I'm a hundred percent, I'm ninety percent on board um, with it. I'm, I'm definitely not going to be. be um, let's just say I, I sat in on a, on a panel with Joe McGonigal and got to listen to him talk about it. And um, you know, I've seen videos of them using remote viewing for archaeological discoveries. Like they're getting results. Like clearly, um, but you, you brought up consciousness and remote viewing and the physics of it. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about the um, APEC conference from yesterday. Do you guys know who J uh, Jack Sarfati is? Are, are you familiar with the individual? Yeah, yeah. Jack, Jack has kind of he has a few videos talking about what he thinks of the, his ideas behind like the Tic Tac and consciousness and things like that, right? I, I frankly, I haven't seen those yet. I've just been tangentially familiar with some of his uh, physics discussions. And he has an explanation for the phenomena, remote viewing, you know, a lot of this stuff. And it was fascinating to, I mean, it was difficult and challenging to, to get through all of that presentation. He's a, he's a 
very smart individual. And it's, uh, and I, I've watched it. I had like 40 points I wanted to go through today and rewatched it again. And it was, it was really great. But he's describing the similarity between um, essentially the idea that Roger Penrose has for the collapse of the wave fun- function inside of microtubules and that being a correlation with consciousness. And he's suggesting that there might be quantum wormholes in that function collapse through which particles from the future are sent back through the wormhole to people. And that is the mechanism for transference of information. And that when we experience, you know, the advancement of consciousness, um, that's the future calling us forward. And he had this point of like, and I, I drew this diagram because it was like this sort of thing. I don't know if it comes through. But this idea that there's uh, the past and the future, and they all have wave functions that are progressing towards each each other, and that those analogous in that at the center of which we find you know consciousness in the present, and both of those are analogous to you know the idea that destiny is driving us, and that in, in advance of us is our fate, and at that moment right now we experience consciousness, and he extended that metaphor to say that in advance of us, we have gravity and behind us, we have electromagnetism at the quantum. that's at the quantum level and that there's a duality between those two forces. And that's what is essentially accessing that through, you know, quantized space is the mechanism for both tic-tac propulsion for anti, for, for gravity propulsion, I should say. And, uh, and how the, the craft, and this is it's crazy. Like, this is the craziest discussion I've heard in a long time. But he's saying that Tic Tacs are conscious crafts sent from the future. That, and he goes off. I mean, like, it's, this is his, his, his narrative and his story. And he's, you know, he's a, he says he's a longtime life experiencer. That, you know, he was put on a path as a child. I, um, am I am I correct in remembering that he he had a phone call from like an electronic computer voice when he was really young, right? That kind of told him the path that he was going to go on. And it's interesting because yeah. a lot of I mean, it sounds crazy, but a lot of people who are involved with this phenomena experience things like that, you know. And it, it's not it's not for me to judge. I the my my trouble with Jack stuff, or rather, my trouble with me is that I don't understand a lot of what he's talking about. So yeah. I'll, I'll watch the video that you just said because it's been a little while since. I, I listen to him so I you know I can update my knowledge base with him basically but it, it's interesting that yeah the, those two things the the past and the future coming together to kind of create the now and yeah I, I kind of I see the logic in it and I'm intrigued so I watch that after it was a wide-ranging discussion but the what I would say is that um, the, the panel the people on APEC which is the uh, uh, Ultimate Propulsion Engineering Conference is it's it's basically a bunch of retired NASA scientists that don't don't have security clearances. They get together and they talk about research they did that they're okay to talk about, but just what are the ideas surrounding Tic Tac? How is this possible? Is this human engineered? If it was, how would we do it? And like that was sort of the basic, you know, the basis of I think everybody came to that lecture on was that he was going to talk about Tic Tac propulsion, and we're going to talk about you know gravity propulsion in specific. And it was crazy how it, out of nowhere, I thought in my mind, because I wasn't prepared for remote viewing. And it was just one of those, if, yeah, if you wanted an encapsulating 
you know, four hours of, you know, the phenomena in total. <laughs> that was, that was yesterday. Do you like, Carl, let me ask, because do you know what, Dan made a point there about not understanding some of what Jack Sarfati talks about. I've never had in the fact on this that I'm a simple guy and I like things broken down simply as well. So like I use Dan to translate a lot of stuff for me, especially when it comes to what, what are they talking about or what are they saying? You know, um, I, I joked with Project Unity the other day that he'd posted one of his tweets where I had to use a thesaurus to work out what it was he'd actually said. And he broke it down in like three words for me. And I was like, ah, OK, yeah, thanks. And I think there's a lot of people out there like like me as well who who like that. And it's just sometimes these ideas can put people off when they're so yeah. so big and they are they are huge and they are big anyway and they just need broken down into that kind of simple simple way and and for me like when we talk about everything you've talked about there and things leaking through from the past and memory leaks or you know kind of leaks in the matrix or whatever you want to call it i'm going to keep saying the matrix now tonight because i've just watched half of the first one again and like dan i'm excited for the fourth one <laughs> um even just things like i still don't understand how wi-fi works I get what it is. As part of my day job, I, I train what internet and Wi-Fi is to people, okay? But the fact that something comes through a cable that I still don't understand how we're having this conversation through the internet just now, really, and then it broadcasts a signal to my phone that then gives me access to all this stuff, it blows my mind that we're just transmitting that wirelessly. It's there, but we can't see it. And that's stuff that we are making happen. And that's where what else could you be floating around that we don't know? And and like Louis Elizondo and others have said, you've got all these different electromagnetic spectrums, visible light spectrums. What else is there that we can't see, hear, touch or taste? But it's there. It could be like, and Dan, we talked about shadow biomes and all of that kind of stuff with Chris Leto. And I'm open to all these possibilities because there's so much right now that uh, it's that old phrase that 100 years ago we would have considered magic. And right now, you know, if you get buffering, you get annoyed. I'm slightly irritated, Carl, that a couple of times your your picture has frozen for a second. Yeah, <laughs> t- 10 years ago, that would have been normal. 20 years ago, it would have been incredible. We even had the opportunity to have this conversation. 50 years ago, this was impossible. So if you rewind that forward and look at where are we going to be in 50 years' time, why can't I be standing next to you having this conversation and some kind of hologram where we could literally high five each other and feel it with haptic feedback okay so in 50 years time this is the, the best part of jack's presentation he basically said that in 50 years the the the, the conscious computer that's that called him on the phone it'll, it'll be here in basically 50 years from now that's the future is from right now I hope Jack finds that out in, in 50 years' time. I hope he's around to see it. If not, hopefully hopefully we still are as well. well you, yeah. you you got to think as well. Um, you know, we know the dudes from ATIP. The whole point of those was to predict, you know, in the next 50, 100 years, where do you see crazy aerospace going? And a lot of what informed that was these UAP events that kind of said this is possible, and it really, really drove that speculation and the ideas. Um you know, if we come close to that stuff, if you look at slide nine and you kind of look at that stuff, you when you properly appreciate that, you know, Andy, you said about using a hologram, screw the hologram. You could have just stepped into your car and in five seconds been in the house with Carl. You know, like that's a problem when you think about things like terrorism and things like that. You almost need a way to track this technology fully before you release it to the public. And, you know, it looks like they've figured out how to track this technology. 
Carl, yeah. listen, you will have to call in again. Uh, at the end of the month, we're going to do another one for the end of September, where hopefully we've got some more news and stuff out as well. But yeah, there was a lot more we could have dug into here, but we're just run out of time. So it's been really good speaking with you. Gentlemen, have a wonderful day. Uh, and thank you so much for your time. We're live with Nathan from North Carolina. Uh, you'll know him as at a waif soul on Twitter and part of the Calling All Beans podcast with DJ. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Nathan. Thanks, guys. Really, really enjoyed being on with you. So what did you want to talk about today? Yeah, so uh, I I was really impacted by the Sean Cahill article that came out uh, on, I think, the 2nd. September 2nd. I was on vacation reading it. And, uh, you know, first of all, Sean, as you guys know, is just such an eloquent speaker and writer. So it was really, uh, it was a lot to digest. It's not like a simple thing that you could just read once and be like, I kind of got it. Um, so I read it a couple of times and really tried to sit with it. And my takeaway from it, uh, and I would love to hear your takeaway from it, was that uh, the UFO community has you know, gotten to a weird place. Uh, and there's a lot of content that, that is created in the community. Now there's a lot of, uh, speculation and maybe it's more speculation than not. And at some point as this topic becomes more mainstreamed, uh, as it matures, if you will, those in the community that have enjoyed kind of a, a spotlight or, uh, have felt very good about harboring the secret, if you will, uh, or talking about the secret, will have to give way to a larger audience and to a more mainstream uh, uh, attention to this issue than has ever been there before. And that may mean that many in the community have to fade into the background, uh, that they have to kind of step off the stage and hand it over to new professionals, uh, you know, other scientists and other other world uh, personalities who are going to take the topic to the next place. And, uh, you know, as a content creator myself, and I have kind of mixed feelings about that, but wanted to know what you guys thought about it when you read it. And, um, you know, particularly since y'all have been putting out such great content and are are a huge part of the community uh, thus far. Uh, Thanks, Nathan. Um, I I don't think it's a secret that Sean knows myself and Dan well, and, and we talk to Sean pretty regular too but that's that doesn't take away from if, if sean wrote something or said something we didn't agree with or we wanted to debate or bring up we certainly would and that, that goes for anyone um and but sean hit the nail on the head with it he'd had a little bit of a break as well before he wrote it which was good to see him kind of coming back and refreshed on the subject and the topic and something that i took away from from the article was sean talking about how there can be two points of, of reference now at least and i've brought up several times last year we recorded at christmas a, a, a room 101 round table special and we asked people to put into room 101 you know what would they banish from the subject of ufos altogether if they could and sean himself said um having one one source or you know a photograph a video and with no data or a story or a sighting because it's just that you have to just hear it take it at face value and then it has to kind of go away because like i've talked about my own sighting i i was there as a kid i saw this huge ferris wheel type object i've discussed on its side spinning at a ridiculous speed and that's that's a sighting that i haven't heard many other people ever really 
talk about someone has emailed me with a very similar sighting ryan sprague sent my way and i have to get back to them and i plan on doing that tomorrow as we record this but it's just my story i could totally be making that up there's no proof zero proof no evidence whatsoever so it doesn't matter how many times i tell it i just have to accept that it happened and that's it and if people choose to believe me or not then that's absolutely their their um, right and their belief and I, I wouldn't call it an experience as such, regardless of kind of how incredible it sounds. And I get why some experiencers have got a little bit upset or titchy about recent comments and online and being ignored that they've had a very personal experience because these experiencers tend to talk about, you know, physical violations or they have injuries or wounds or, you know, emotional scarring from it, which I totally appreciate. These things can go on for generations as well. And you could have that worry. It's going to affect your family in future. People may choose not to have families because of, you know, the phenomenon or what may be happening to them. I think they also have to appreciate where other people in the community are coming from that right now is not the time to to bring into any kind of mainstream conversation the experiencer side of it as well because it's too much of a leap. It's the same way right now. There was a, an article in the UK press that had the headline of should we be taking aliens more seriously? And I think if you look at people like ourselves we're not asking people to talk about aliens we're asking people just to acknowledge you know these ufos that are flying about the question isn't are they real we want to look at scientifically how can we explore what these definitely are or what they might be are they one one in the same thing are they different things so you've got to understand where we're actually at in the conversation not where we want to be but where we're at and um, we've made progress but if it's a loading bar you're at 20 percent progress right now you know, that, that's kind of where we're at. And there's people who want us to jump down to 85 and 90% progress down the line where we start calling out, you know, these people are being abducted. What do we do about it? Because I'm sorry, but that just puts the mainstream conversation right off the whole topic. And that's where we go back to crazy headlines, X-Files music playing over everything. And and I think that's what Sean is trying to get at with a lot of his a lot of his comments that we have to know where we're at. And at least, as he says, um, I've got the article back up now. We've got two points of data, which is witness memory and physical anomalies. It's probably still not enough, though, when it comes to um, when it comes to the subject of experiencers or abductions or, or anything that may entail. I seen I seen someone today um, talk about it may have been Chris Walford. I can't remember who it was on Twitter. I apologize, but that they've, they've had these experiences, but also from, from being young, they've had like triangular marks on their arm. That still doesn't prove anything. I am 100% not saying things haven't and aren't happening to those people, but it's still, it's still not proof as much as if I had a video or picture of what happened back in the nineties with myself and my family, when we saw that object, people still wouldn't take it as proof. It's still not enough. And again, it's it goes full circle back to why people like myself put so much stock into the military aspect of things, because what we have is witness testimony. Let's forget their pilots. We've got witnesses. We tend to have some sort of photographic evidence, video evidence. We also have data points because I'm not carrying about spy one, spy six, whatever radar. I'm not carrying about, you know, sonar. 
I'm not caring about whatever else is detecting these objects, and it's just extra data points that they have that we don't. So, um, I, Sean kind of hit the nail on the head with a lot of his points on that, and I hope I've made sense on that. No, completely. Dan, what, what about you? What did you think about that? That was Andy gave a, a really nice comprehensive answer there. Um, <laughs> I don't remember me, what I said. <laughs> <laughs> um, it made me think of um, Robert Salas on the big phone home, right? Uh, when he got a little salty. And there was a moment where, you know, it, it's it, things like that can be amusing, um, but it kind of showed that him as an experiencer has suffered a lot of trauma at the hands mm-hmm. of this subject you know no matter there, there are loads of different angles that you can kind of come from his experience but he clearly felt ignored and mm-hmm. has been for a long time um but also his experience isn't say for example and Jolly's experience right so we kind of have these really really different things out there um that we kind of have to separate and i think we can we kind of have to define what an experience is and that's really hard to do because we can't even define consciousness right now you know Mm -hmm. it's a really hotly debated subject um so sean said like sean says you kind of we need to be mindful and target our conversation because and and i I think it was lou alessandro that said this he he said it's almost like feeding somebody too fast even if it's nutritious food you can still kill them with it if you give them too much you know um we need to wait for people like Avi Loeb with the Galileo project, who can kind of quantify these qualities. And I know, you know, there's a lot of talk about him maybe not having the right knowledge to do the job right, but he'll eventually get there through kind of searching down that path scientifically. And we we can't have conversations about this subject if we don't have those scientific data points. And mm-hmm. even I'd even emphasize something like, you know, Mick West in a garage. That's not a scientific data point. Like Avi Loeb said, that group of the scientists mick isn't so we we almost have to at a certain point hand over the baton of the subject mm-hmm. you know the goal in this for myself is not to get rich or make money it's to get the next generation set up to study this topic and really kind of interweave it with humanity and life on earth and what it means for us you know um so to do that ufology will eventually die you know we we won't have ufology conferences we'll have extraterrestrial life spoken about at science conferences right and different things like that you know economic economy forums and all, all sorts of things like that um but it makes me wonder what certain personalities in the subject what their plans are after disclosure um because i mean at least for me i'm i'm keeping an eye out to see if any like you know, courses spring up that I can go study that, you mm-hmm. know, if there's a university in America that the first one to go, hey, we're doing a course on UAP, I'm off. Like, I'm going to study it and I want to be the guy that works there, you know? Right. Um, but to come back to your early point, there, there's there's a really there's a really deep, interesting conversation to have around how we treat potential trauma victims because shouting them down doesn't help. You know, right. there, there's this subject almost goes hand in hand with empathy. And I know that sounds very love and light. And mm-hmm. ironically, a lot of those love and light people will block people left, right and center um, and not have those conversations. Um, but I truly believe as we go forward, this connection between us all is going to grow a lot of empathy and we'll start listening to people a bit better. But you're right. And I don't really know what the answer is to finding this this filter 
to separate right. Anjali from Travis Walton from, you know, all these other experiences. Can I just make two points, Nathan, before you come back in on it? Um, sure. The first one is that Robert Salas obviously got quite annoyed when he call, called the, his segment on the UCR, Big Phone Home 2, the, the Lou Elizondo show, and then claimed he was the only witness on that panel. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but one, there's an assumption that he was the only witness to anything on that panel because did Lou, at the end of Unidentified himself, not basically choose to not answer a question about his own experiences and it's not Absolutely. the first time so there, there were a number of people on that panel who have spoken about experiences yeah for sure so so robert was emotional but wrong on that part that he was the only witness on the panel um and the second part is and this kind of backs up where i think the experiencers just have to be patient for their kind of for their day to come as the uep task force itself reported that one of the issues was our science is not yet advanced enough to study the phenomenon appropriately and i think they have to understand that probably includes their own experiences and what may or may not be happening to them physically or, or non-physically that we now have an admission at least and i don't guess that's any kind of comfort to those people but the, the government themselves are looking at this and kind of saying we can't really study a lot of aspects of this because it's so beyond what we know or can do anything about but i think there was a kind of half-hearted acknowledgement in them and there indirectly for experiencers that we can't do this yet but hopefully that kind of time will come for them right yeah i mean i think um i think dan you know your your point about the trauma is is one that we need to not lose sight of um and that you know and then it may be that once the uh nuts and bolts components of this phenomena become legitimized then that door opening may then sort of by extension provide a little more breathing room for experiencers to feel like they are, they can be legitimized as well. Maybe not right then, but an admission that a thing that uh, most people didn't think was real at all is in fact real does give them a glimmer of hope that the things that they have experienced may also be acknowledged as being real at, at some point down the line. And I think as the community, and maybe this is, you know, just reflecting on that, that article again, you know, if the community kind of dies in one aspect, maybe it, it is sort of go, goes through a rebirth in another and that it becomes a family in, in, in many ways it already is a family, but a family that tries to nurture uh, people who have these different kinds of experiences. Um, and some are uh, very real and some are not. Um, but, but, you know, what a family does for those inside of it is it takes care of them. It, you know, even if uh, someone in your family comes to you and they recount a story to you and you, you totally don't believe it, or you know that it's wrong, or you know that they're having a psychotic episode, you're still going to treat them as family. You're going to extend charity and empathy and love to that, that person. And I think that's what we as a community need to not lose sight of whenever this does transition to the next phase, because it could very well be a long time before the experiencer uh, component becomes legitimized. And there is going to be a lot of trauma there that, um, that will actually perhaps become, and, and very likely will become, more acute more th than it is now. So whenever this topic becomes legitimized, the nuts and bolts component, the experiencer trauma may in fact uh, increase because uh, they're, they're, they know then that they really aren't crazy 
that there is something that is there. And, and then maybe they were looking for someone to tell them, you know what, you really were crazy. It's all just imagination. But in fact, no, it, you know, what, what you experience is in fact legit. Nathan, awesome point. We'll leave it there just for time. Uh, we've got Mark waiting next up, but awesome point. And uh, remember, folks, make sure you're following, subscribing, and checking out Nathan and DJ on Calling All Beings podcast as well. Nathan, always good to talk to you. Likewise, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Nathan. Next up, we're going to move on from Nathan to Mark, who's out in Los Angeles. Mark, how are we today? Doing fine, thanks, Andy and DSL. Yeah, very well. Welcome to the podcast. Obviously, we've got Dan with us as well. Mark, the, the floor is yours. What are we talking about? We're talking about debunking. And in particular, uh, one well-known debunker that I've had some uh, interactions with on uh, Twitter, Mr. Mick West. So um, I want to uh, just lay it out up, up front. Uh, I've been to his, uh, his website a number of times, and he has some very interesting things to say about... Uh, uh, crazy theories of vaccines and all sorts of other stuff. And I agree with him on many things. However, when it comes to UFOs, UAPs, I have to say that, you know, he has a distinct bias and it comes through. And that's where I draw the line and say, I'm sorry, Bella, what you're saying is not exactly true. And you're not qualified to say what the, we are saying. So. Yep. What's what's got you now, Mick West? Everyone knows, and we have shared our thoughts on this so many times as well. You've obviously been riled up enough to to get in touch with him. You've said a few times, and he's got a response from him as well. So, what were your points you were making to Mick? And obviously, if you don't mind sharing, what has he got back to you with as well? Sure. So, I I mean, I saw him many months ago, and uh, honestly, didn't know very much about him. Some of the things he was saying and he was making the statements he was making about his interpretation of videos, you know, there were pretty definitive statements. And I thought to myself, well, how does he know that for a fact? Um, and my research indicated he was a video game programmer. Well, you know, video game programmers usually are not experts in FLIR. They're certainly not experts in photo interpretation or an, a radar analysis. So I went back to him and I very politely uh, said, can you just you know, enlighten me about this? And to his great credit, he came back and said, well, you know, uh, this is what I do. Uh, this is my background. And uh, this is what I believe and check my website. So I pushed him over a couple of nights uh, on the Twitter. Okay, that's, that's fine. But what are your qualifications to make analysis of fluid videos? And why is it that you know more than the Navy experts who are analyzing these videos that say they are, in fact, unknown. And he came back and he said, basically, well, I don't really have any specific relevant technical qualifications, but uh, when I need to know something, I just Google it. And that doesn't really fill you with a warm, fuzzy feeling of somebody who should be really listened to that, uh, that closely. For example, my butcher has an opinion on uh, UAPs, and every time I see him, you know, we 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 argue somewhat about what it is. But I wouldn't give him uh, the same sort of level of uh, exposure, and I certainly wouldn't put my unqualified butcher on CNN to explain um, UAPs. So along comes the you know Omaha and uh, Russell, uh, 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 you know, uh, videos and photos, and. I, I guess what 
really got me going was he puts out a um, uh, a tweet, and I'll read it to you. It's a very simple couple of sentences. He says, um, if it's a new photo of a transmedium craft, then I'll pre-debunk that one with, in quotes, looks like a large balloon descending to the water, maybe sinking later as the waters rip the payload around, end of quotes. So I go back to him and I say, well, Mick, um, that's really good, but you issued that statement well before Jeremy Corbell issued his video. How is it that you can analyze something that you haven't seen and has not been released? Shouldn't a real investigator actually look at the evidence? Well, you know, didn't get a response. So I politely pushed him a few times, didn't get a response. This went on for months. So uh, about... Let me ask you, Mark, let me, let me ask you yeah. a question on this, okay? Because I, I've shared my thoughts on, on Mick quite often. And like and like you said, at the start, he does a lot of good work on various topics. I, mm-hmm. I have shared how he's a very intelligent guy as well. I think part of his attitude towards UFOs is he does enjoy to, to troll a little bit. I think he likes that he can cast his rod and get bites from people as well. I think there's definitely an element of that in what he does. And I, I, know I also mm-hmm. think some of which he does what he does because he he sort of believes it or wants to believe it as well. I want to ask you though, to be fair, try and be fair to Mick and do a devil's advocate here. Do you think you have a bias towards Mick's prerogative? Because like you said, you're a UFO believer. Obviously I put my hand up as well. That's that goes Mm -hmm. without saying. Are there others who are as qualified as Mick West who you would listen to on the other side of the argument? So again, it, I, and do you know what I, I'm going to? I'm I'm thinking out loud here. I I'm as guilty as other people of saying, well, Mick's background is in computer programming. What does that give him the right to to do that debunking? I suppose some people on on Mick's side might look at me and think, what's this guy's background in media to to have his own podcast and talk about this stuff as he does, which is which is fair. But do fair you enough. think do you think Mick has now created almost a character that? people either love or hate and you know what it it sells books and drives people to his website so well i mean i i didn't want to to raise those issues because i can't say whether the profit motive is what's generating him or the fame of uh, you know being on cnn as a ufo expert but what i can say is um if he brought the same level of independence and impartiality and common sense to his UFO investigations and his analysis, as he does for the vaccines and other things on his website, I wouldn't have a problem. Because as I've, the stuff I've read there, for example, about vaccines and and these crazy uh, theories, he never holds himself out to be a doctor and says, well, you know, the COVID virus uh, only binds to the R protein on the little stalk that's coming out and and so on and so on. And so it can't possibly uh, do that. No, he doesn't do that. But what he does do in regard to UFOs, UAPs, he will say, for example, well, you know, the, the plane, uh, uh, what they really saw was was another plane that was way off in the distance. And that's why, uh, dude, there's such a thing as radar. 
they know what planes were up there. They, they have these, I think Sean Cahill was talking about these situ- situational awareness programs where everybody in the carrier fleet, everybody knows where everybody is. Dude, if it was that simple, if it was Bill's plane 20 miles away and I'm just seeing the jet exhaust, uh, duh, Bill, is that you out there? Yeah, it's me. Bill, we'll turn the other freaking way so we don't see you. And Come on, ridiculous. Yeah. But to, to be fair, um, he does does form, uh, well, he does provide uh, an important thing. For example, that uh, uh, the, I believe it's pronounced the Aquadilla, the, the Puerto Rico thing where the thing comes comes through, appears yep. to spoon the water. I've listened to his analysis of that, and I think he's got some 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 valid points. I'm not sure what that is. It looks in a different category to me to other things, but you know, I'll 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 nod my head with him and say, yeah, Mick, you might be right there. But do not tell me that uh, you know Commander Favor doesn't understand what things look like in the sky, or um, or uh, uh, Miss Dietrich. They are experienced pilots. They'll know what a uh, balloon is. They'll know what a sunset is. And they know what a bloody seagull is. So that's just ridiculous. Just to, to, to go on one extra step, of course, you'll notice that Mick constantly attacks expert witnesses. He's never met a balloon or a bird that he doesn't like as a UAP. And to say that basically Commander Favor with, what, some 3,000 hours of flight experience, he didn't really know what he was looking at or it was further away. I mean, dude, he's good enough to go into combat and risk his life to defend our nation. And he's got a hell of a lot more time, flight time than you have, Mick. So I would suggest to you that maybe he's the expert and you are not. Mark, let me ask, just as, as we start to kind of run out of our time, I want to ask yep. you, for you, would it be enough if Mick came out and said, do you know what? These things could be something otherworldly or non-human but it's just my opinion that they're not and i'm going to keep doing what i'm doing in terms of debunking or would would that not be enough no i'm 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 quite happy if he if he prefaced everything but he says by i'm not qualified in fleur i'm not qualified in radar or photo interpretation but my opinion is that that object that buzzed uh, commander favor was a seagull fair enough but, you know, until he does that, then it really you have an unqualified video game programmer talking about stuff that he has no clue whatsoever about. As, as I said before, I don't listen to my butcher. And if I wanted heart surgery, I wouldn't go to my orthopedist. So why on earth are we listening to a man who is not qualified in these various things? He literally told me on Google that if he wants to know some technical information, he just Googles it. You don't believe me, guys? Go and look at the go and look at Twitter. It's there. Now, what I would expect of, of people is like the, uh, the the scientific coalition. I would expect somebody to say, "I'm going to examine this. I'm going to look at the facts first. So, Mick, look at the facts first, dude. Don't come out with it with your interpretation until you see the facts. Okay? It's like the police arresting you for murder before there's a murder. Doesn't work, dude. So, what I would suggest is. Look at the facts. Look at people who really know what the equipment does. So, Mick, you're not an F-18 fighter. You've never used the equipment. Don't tell the people that do it on a daily basis that they don't know what they're doing. So let's look at the facts. Let's listen to experts. Certainly, I can have my opinion. 
I'm of the opinion that there's something very strange happening, and my leading candidate is extraterrestrial. Could it be that it's interdimensional? These other things, Andy, that you know you have your your your, your people on, possibly. But I don't make the statement and say it is because I don't know. I would expect a real investigator to look at the facts, do an analysis, and put it out and say it's my opinion. I've got a I've got a whole bunch of things that you know I've seen on his website where he makes statements that he's just not qualified to do. Don't listen to me about brain surgery. And don't let me near your your car because it's not going to work. So in my area of expertise, listen to me. Mick, you're a video game programmer, dude. You're not qualified to talk about Fleur or what a pilot sees in an FA-18. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. Mark, very fair points, very fair opinion. All yours, of course. And uh, it's good hearing you on the podcast as well. And make sure you call in again next time. Okay, mate? Thank you very much. Thank you to, to you and Dan. I really enjoy the uh, the show. Uh, I love the different things, the remote viewing, all these things. Um, I may not believe 100% of them, but I think it's really important to have the discussion. And uh, uh, I commend you for it and uh, really enjoy the podcast. Next on the line, we're going over to Austin, Texas, and we have Terry. Terry, how's your Sunday? It's going well, Andy. Thank you. I'm uh, watching some uh, American football here today and just taking it easy. Nice, as we've just been discussing before we, we hit record. Um, Terry, you want to talk about Lou Elizondo, his recent appearance on the podcast, and just in general, your your thoughts on Lou. So what do you want to say? Uh, I, I wanted to talk about Lou a little bit just because of what a big presence he has within the UFO UAP community uh, these days. Um, I, I, I love a lot of what Lou has to say. And I think that he has helped tremendously um, validate and bring UFOs and UAPs into the mainstream. I also am kind of critical of Lou. I, I, I know his background. I know he was an agent um, within, you know, the U S military and he, and he was a, you know, known for disinformation and uh, subterfuge and things like that. And so whenever I listen to him talk, I'm always trying to, you know, pick out the pieces about what, you know, is the truth and what isn't. And sometimes I feel like Lou talks in circles and it's not that, um, I don't know if he's doing it because of what he knows, you know, because he has all of this, um, you know, secret information that he's holding on to that he can't talk about NDAs, things like that. Or if he's doing it in order to, you know, perpetuate a agenda, you know, working, you know, within our community to actually, you know, push agendas that are actually are put pushing us away from what was really going on. Um, and I, 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 I'm on UFO Twitter. Obviously, I, I see everything, and I know there's a lot of love for Lou, but I'm also um, just very. Uh, cognizant and hesitant sometimes to go all in with Lou and I don't know what what you all thought about that that's a that's a really interesting question and it, you know I I made that poster a while back of Lou Elizondo with that Obama-esque look to it you know with truth underneath so you you're asking you, you know you're holding me to account on that which is great um because we we do have to kind of 
you know, have checks with ourselves about how, how much we're just accepting on faith. Um, and in kind of UFO history, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, people being burned by trusting big personalities in this subject. And, and I can really understand the, you know, the, the reluctance to go down that road again. And it's not just big personalities in terms of entertainment either. You know, we have Richard Doty and we have, you know, if he existed and did what he did, then there's, there's probably other people that did that stuff too. Um, Lou, Lou always swears that his commitment is to the American people. So it would, wouldn't make sense to him to, to break that oath. Um, but I, I think you're right in that he, he speaks in circles because of NDAs and classifications, but also because you might have heard him mention something called the five pillars, which kind of represent different uh, aspects of kind of disclosure, how they see it and their rollout plan. Um, and one of those pillars would be, you know, legislation, one would be uh, social media interests, you know, so on, so on, so on, so forth. Um, and one of the things he said was that none of those pillars can get too far ahead of the other ones. Otherwise, the whole thing topples over. So I think the talking in circles is to kind of try and keep those pillars all at a similar level so that, you, you know, we're not kind of overfeeding people on too much explosive information. But for people like us, obviously, it feels a lot slower because uh, we we tend to digest things a bit quicker than the, the general public. Yeah, yeah though. I'll, I'll come ahead, in on that Amy. one as well, Terry. Yeah. Um, so Lou would definitely approve of your scepticism. I think he's always said from from the early days, long before he started coming on podcasts and, and doing a lot of interviews like he has, that um, you should question him. You should, um, scepticism is healthy and you should make up your own mind. You should look at the data, do your own research and try and figure things out. Um, don't just follow blindly. That's absolutely, again, he would approve of that. Um I think when it comes to to him talking in circles, I've watched quite a few Lou Elizondo interviews on different podcasts. Obviously, I do that one out of interest and as a, a fan of the subject, a fan of Lou, which I've never hidden, but also, um, again, from my own research and, and doing this show. And it can really depend on the questions he's being asked and how he's being asked them. I, I've never hidden the fact that on the Lou Elizondo shows, those are the ones that myself and Dan we've spent a lot of time going through the wording of questions and it's not an exaggeration when Dan changed the wording of one question seven times in a couple of minutes um, for the last one with him, because I really feel that you have to ask someone like Lou the, the right question, but you have to ask it in the right way to elicit the best possible answer. And, and there's times when I ask him a question and I just think I have not, I've, I've not worded that correctly and I've not used just the right nuance in the phrase and that can really make a difference as to what sort of answer you get from him there's things he can say and there's things they can't say um and i suppose that that comes down on like people like me as an interviewer where you have a responsibility to to make the most of your time with someone like lou because it's you've got yeah. a kind of duty to the audience and a responsibility to make sure they get the most out of it as well and you can definitely tell lou goes on some podcasts and they are just interested in having lou on it's just because of his name and they ask him the same old questions. And I think especially in those ones, you can see Lou, he's respectful, but he gets a bit tired of the same questions and you get kind of blasé answers from him at times. Whereas you you hear on certain podcasts, and I'm, I'm not even saying my own, um, but Terry Verts, who is an astronaut, and that's Terry Verts, V-I-R-T-S, who's an astronaut, um, asked him some okay questions 
but for for several different factors Lou gave a ton of information on that one as well and it was a really good interview and like Dan said some of the stuff he talks about it's it's NDAs and after both interviews I've had with Lou I've had numerous people get in touch the feedback's always overwhelmingly positive and that's great you know I, I that's brilliant for me and the show and the podcast and everything but there's still people get in touch and they'll say why didn't you ask him this why didn't you ask him x y and z and for me it's because there's no point because there's certain questions he won't answer he can't answer and it's just a waste of time Um, and then there's also those ones where i know i'm not going to get an answer that's going to be satisfactory for people and that's probably some of those ones where you hear terry that you're getting answers where Lou seems to be going round in circles or in a roundabout way. I'll ask you, I don't mind when I ask Lou a question and I get the answer in the form of an analogy. Is that something you do or you don't like? Is that too vague for you? Um, so, no, I, I, I don't mind him uh, answering a question with an analogy, um, especially since, like you said, um, he is dealing with NDAs and that can obviously, you know, hinder what he can or can't say. Um, I just, you know, knowing, you know, the way misinformation agents speak and things like that, um, you know, I always kind of really want to get to the, the, the nuts and bolts of it. At the same time, obviously, I understand that he, he can't say everything he knows. Um, and, and that's just, like you said, part of the five pillars and, um, you know, re, you know, with the release of this information, um, and maybe it's just my impatience or, or, you know, listening to so many interviews with Lou, uh, you know, where I, I just, even when I watched the show, you know, UFO, um, unidentified, uh, you know, there were times where I just felt like maybe he, and, and, and most likely because he is, you know, holding back and things. And, um, it, it's kind of a, the balancing act with him. And so sometimes I I'm all in and then sometimes I'm not, I just wanted to see if, if that was a, a common theme with you all as well. Let, let me ask Terry, if, if Lou was on just now and he said, okay, Terry, like if I'd done the listener question show and it was live and you called in and you had one question for him, what, what would you want to know? Ooh, that's good. Um, I mean, there's always the obvious, like, what's the meaning of life or have what are UAPs, UAPs real, which I think he would say, the evidence would say that UAPs are real. Um, I think I would ask him, does he know who are pilot, piloting these things or controlling them? And if, you know, if I had no filters, what, where it's coming from? Because I think a lot of times we get caught up in, you know, we're looking at these objects, but then what are, where are they coming from or what do they represent? And, you know, there's always the idea that they're little green men or Martians. And I have a lot of thoughts about, you know, who they really are, but I'd like to know what he thought. I think, and again, in that question, you can't just ask him that because right. do, do you mean who is piloting Tic Tacs or like I asked him who potentially is piloting, uh, piloting triangles cigar-shaped mm. UFOs, flying saucers, because are they all the same thing? And and then there's right. the, does it count as piloting if the pilot isn't inside it, but it's controlled from, you know, a planet away or yeah. some, something, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah. that's where, and that's where Terry, like, we really do pour over the questions for that kind of stuff. And I do it with all my guests anyway, but when I've got someone who's 
under an NDA like that. You, you, it's I I want to know the answer to that. And do you know what? Let let me be honest. Do I think Lou knows? I think if anyone knows, then yes, Lou would be the person in the world who potentially would know who would be inside one of these, or he's at least got an opinion, but he doesn't share those. And he said before on various shows, including mine, that his opinion doesn't matter. He doesn't like to share it, um, which which is fair. And he keeps that personal. And I suppose if Lou came out and said, you know what, I think inside Flying Saucers, we have Greys coming from Mars. Every single interview Lou done afterwards, not just on podcasts and small shows, but if he went on Rogan or if he goes on Fox or CNN or for the New York Times or Good Morning Australia, every single interview would be led by, so tell us about these greys coming from Mars. And I think that's where he's very careful to not divulge opinion because it would just totally take over the conversation. And what would be interesting, I'd like to know, Terry, when did you last or when did you start watching Unidentified? Was it when it was on at the time or has it been more recently? Uh, I, I, I watched it when it, when it was on originally. Um, I've, I've been into UFOs since since I was six years old. I'm 43 now, you know, so I've been following. And so any sort of new content that came out or comes out, I'm usually right on top of it and and watching it, especially with Lou and, you know, knowing it at the time to the stars and all of those things. Um, Yeah. So I was, I I, I try, I'm pretty on top of that stuff when it comes out. And honestly, do, do you not see a change in what Lou talks about from then to to know oh absolutely yeah there's it's definitely a, a difference um but i think also it may have to do with like you said he's been asked the same things over and over again i would i would like to have some continuation from that series uh like the the italy stuff um you know there i, I felt like that was going in a, in a good direction with the you know the helicopter being hit and all of those things and i just haven't really heard anything about that Terry, do, do you know do you know where Lou is today? Is he in Italy? Yeah. He oh, well wow. technically no. He's well, in San Marino, right? And yeah. he's at a, a at a conference where those that organization that you saw in the show is at that conference presenting and it's oh, a, a wow. three-day conference talking about the science of UAP and kind of where we go from here. And Lou's done some really interesting presentations, uh, one of which I think Max is going to be sharing on YouTube later. So look on Andy and mine's kind of Twitter feed for that. Um, and, and we'll post it there. But supposedly he talks about like AI systems that can filter and track these things. So um, you're right on time. Your time is impeccable. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I didn't even know I was on time. So I'll, I'll take that. Uh, for so sure. uh, yeah, so definitely on that one, uh, watch this space, Terry. And I suppose what yeah. I would ask is just timing wise, we're kind of out. If you at the end of the month, we're going to do another one. If you could call up and maybe share your thoughts on what comes out of this conference, given it's what you uh, yes. wanted to know. Absolutely. I will definitely do that. And I, I really appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to talk today. No problem. And listen, Lou should be back on next month to do his part two of listener questions. And I would expect a very well-formed question from you to be sent over to the yeah. email address to, uh, yes, for me sir. to put to Lou for you. Okay, Terry? Absolutely. Awesome. Great speaking with you. Enjoy the rest of the NFL Cheers, as well. Terry. Thanks. Cheers. Have a good one. 
Thanks, Terry. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit. Meditative game of state full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. the window after the elf and I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head and everything was weird and everything was red I called up my boys they thought this was noise they thought it was a dream they thought it was my toys they thought it was my problems and they think I should take care of me and I don't know what it is because it doesn't really scare me Consider your space, consider your lies, consider your life.